This morning, we start our sermon series, Jesus Stories. And Jesus Stories is the idea of all the teachings of our Lord. And some of those teachings, Jesus tells stories that are based in historical events, happenings in real time. And often, Jesus spoke in parables. But the reality is when Jesus told a story, whether it was an actual historical event or a parable, the point was there is a spiritual truth or truths for us to discern. Because Jesus wanted us to take his teaching into our lives And live with those truths. Live in view of those truths. Allow those truths to shape what we believe. The way we act. What we do as we live our lives here on this earth. And in this story today, we deal with a very serious topic. Uh, It is a parable in the view of most scholars. However, if it is a parable, it is the only parable in the Bible that uses names. That uses names. But whether it is a parable or a historical reality, it does not change the fact of the spiritual truth. And I pray that this morning, this text will challenge you, will convict you, will make you sensitive to what God is revealing. Now, if it is a parable, most parables are designed to have one main point. And this story definitely has a few spiritual truths with one main point. So I just want to work through this text and share some observations with you and pray that the Spirit will prick your heart wherever you need to be touched most deeply in relationship to your God. So there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and lived in luxury every day. Purple is the idea of the time of wealth. We are shown through Jesus' picture of the story that this man was extremely wealthy, dressed the very best, lived in luxury every day. The very thing that so many of us think we want. And at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. So the story opens up with these two men, very opposite in so many ways. One having it all, the other having very little. One being healthy, the other being extremely sick. 
and this Lazarus, whose name means one whom God helps, is at this gate on a regular basis, and in this life is sick, is poor, and longs, desires strongly to eat just what falls off of the table of this very rich and wealthy man. Now, there's a lot of things that this story doesn't tell us that we'll deal with in just a little bit. But what it does imply is that this rich man who has it all comes and goes on a daily basis and right there at his gate in his full view is this man that's in desperate need. But that doesn't seem to be the main point of the text. It's just a point that probably is telling us that in our lives as we live our lives we need to be very sensitive to the people that are in our lives. Matthew and Justin talked about the divine appointments in Jesus' own life and the kind of divine appointments God may bring into our lives. In other words, we know that just a spiritual principle in general that pleases the Lord is that we are merciful and kind and generous people to those that we see on a daily basis with a need in their lives, that we don't ignore them, that we don't just walk past them, that there is a mercy and a compassion that we feel or the Lord would want us to have in our spirits. But not the main point. He moves on after discussing these two men and says the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side, the second name. The rich man also died and was buried. What happens at the moment you die? That is a big question that a lot of people ask. And, you know, there's very few answers. But Jesus, our Lord, and the master storyteller talking about spiritual concepts says, here are two men. And they come to the point that they die and they leave this world behind. And in the moment of their death, this is what happens to them. Do you remember Paul's teaching that he was tired of this world and he desired to be with Christ and he said he wanted to go and be with the Lord but it was better for the church that he stayed so there is this spiritual truth that at the moment of our death we are carried either by the angels into paradise Abraham's bosom or in this world of the dead that we call hell or Hades or Sheol we are separated from paradise I want you to really hear that upon your death at the moment of your death or your loved one's death, 
according to this story, you are either in paradise or you are in torment in Hades. There is not a more beautiful picture for the believer than to close his or her eyes in death from this life only to be greeted by God's holy angels and carried into paradise. But there is not a more frightening picture of being carried into hell where one is in torment and in eternal separation from God. You look at this story, Lazarus carried to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And you get this picture of Jesus saying, while the funeral for the rich man is going on, he's being buried in the ground simultaneously He is in hell in torment. Which lets us all realize, as Jesus is getting ready to show us, the teaching in our society throughout this world called universalism, which is a big word that simply tries to say and teach that eventually everyone will be saved, is false. It's not true. Jesus did not believe that. Jesus did not teach that. Universalism is a doctrine from hell led by Satan. We do live in a world and a society where we get caught up into having a relationship with God, having a relationship and love for His Word, is not really important in many people's minds about life after death because we want everyone to go to heaven. We want everyone to be saved, and we do, and that's a good thing. However, Jesus says, at the time of death, you are either carried into Abraham's bosom, paradise, or you're just simply buried. Look at this. In Hades, the world of the under, the dead, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Just in the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, the moment that the Spirit leaves the body, you are either safe and secure in the present, the realm that God has designed Or you are in agony and torment. We don't talk about hell anymore. But you know, the Bible speaks about hell so much. And Jesus is one of the greatest teachers about it. It talks about hell as being outer darkness. It talks about hell as being separated from God. It talks about hell being eternal. It talks about hell as a second death, but in terms of that second death where there is weeping and gnashing of the teeth, where there are people banging on the door wanting to come into the presence of the kingdom of God, but they are not allowed to. 
It does not talk in Scripture about the second death being annihilation of the soul, that you just no longer exist. But it does talk about hell as an eternal separation from God. Hebrews 9.27 says, A man is destined to die once and then face judgment. This rich man died once. And now he's facing judgment. Lazarus lived, died once. And now he's facing judgment. No opportunity to come back for a second go. And that is frightening. And that is challenging. And it is convicting. Because it is from the words of Jesus himself right there in the text. There is nothing good in my estimation when you look at the word torment. I don't need to break it down and tell you the Greek meaning behind it. It's torment. He uses the word agony. Now some people, whenever they think of hell, they, is, is it like fire? Is it the burning sensation? You know, scholars have debated that for centuries. My personal opinion, and it's just a personal opinion, so you can throw it out with everything, but my personal opinion is that it's truly separation from God. And that is agony. And that is torment. Because of the finality. The way that you live your life on this earth is important to God. The things that you do are important to God. God has made His will known to this world. He makes it known to all of us. God's Word is valuable. God's Word is critical. And God's Word is important. And no one should have to encourage you to be in God's Word. God's Word is something that you see as a light to your path. It fills your soul with His truth as you meditate it on it day and night. But we see here this torment. And we see this picture looking up and seeing Abraham far away, the separation, and Lazarus is by his side. He is in peace. Lazarus is in comfort. Lazarus is with Abraham, the father of the multitudes, the father of the promise. So the rich man called to him, Father Abraham. Now that's pretty important right there. Because although we don't have the name of the rich man, we get the insight that this rich man was Jewish. That's why he called him Father Abraham. Father Abraham. Now how he knew it was Abraham, on the other side, maybe we have insights that are given to us that we just know. But Father Abraham. Seems to me here that he's trying to rely on, I am a Jew. I am a part of God's chosen covenant family. Oh, Father Abraham. It's very much like what Jesus and John the Baptist were dealing with in the book of Matthew when Jesus even said, don't say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. 
Don't, don't look to Abraham to say, I've got roots in religion. My grandpa's a preacher. My grandma's very sincere in her faith. Then I'm going to use that to get into the kingdom of God. Don't say that because God can take these stones and make children for Abraham if he wanted to do it that way. If you are children of Abraham, then you will act like Abraham. But Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. There it is. Agony, pain, torment. I need help. I want help. I see you. You see me. Have Lazarus come and help me. And the fact is, in that situation, at least the way our earthly mind works, any of us would want to help someone in that situation. But we won't be able to on the other side. But we can on this side. We can on this side if we are sensitive enough Convicted enough, passionate enough to live in view of what Jesus is trying to say here. Heaven and hell are real places. And people will spend eternity in one or the other. But that's still not the main point of the story. It's just a spiritual truth for us to live with. A sobering spiritual truth. Send help. Have pity on me. I'm in suffering and agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Now one of the things that we don't know about this story is other than implications that we have because of the teachings of Jesus Christ in the good news, is that this rich man was not rich towards God. He did not have time to allow the Word of God to impact his life so as to lead his life in good works and good deeds that brought honor to the Father. And Lazarus, on the other hand, we don't have any insight that says he loved the Lord, but it seems to be implied that he loved God and loved his word. He just suffered here on this earth. But the reality is, just because you're rich doesn't mean that you're doomed to hell. And just because you're poor and sick doesn't mean you're guaranteed heaven. We know that. But the truth is, Do what is good and right in this life as you live it on this side of paradise and hell. He is comforted and you are in agony. Now look here. And besides all of this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here... To you cannot, nor can anyone cross over there to us. You see, here's the reality. A man is destined to die once and face judgment. And your faith and your trust 
in the Christ, the Savior, the greatest prophet ever, God, His Word is on you and your heart and your desire. And if you don't have that, if you don't act on that, if you don't seek through God to become compassionate and passionate about His Word, there should be deep concern in each and every person that feels that way. Because you cannot cross over when you die. And I think probably just another spiritual reality for us is we're alive, we're not dead. We still have the opportunity to speak out and to share the love of God, the good news of the gospel saved by grace through faith and leading us to a life of sanctification and doing good works and good deeds to the glory of God. We're alive and we as individuals need to have in our hearts and our mouths this word, this challenge to our family, to our friends. We don't need to apologize and let people be lost without hearing the word of God. It doesn't matter how much you say that person's in heaven. If they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, their soul is doomed. It doesn't matter if it's your son. It doesn't matter if it's your daughter. It doesn't matter if it's your spouse. If they don't have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that person is doomed. That person has time on this side to repent. That person has time on this side to change. And it may come as God works through you to speak and invite yourself into their lives to tell them there is a reality and truth in this world and that they better wake up and prayerfully God will use you to wake someone up. It's not ours to convert people, but it is ours to speak spiritual truths. I've done so many funerals in my life for people, and there's been very seldom that the family or families, all, all they never went to church, they really never read their Bible, but I think one time, they might have said a prayer to Jesus. And they want a funeral service to be the comfort you would give them to say that person's in heaven. But there is not a minister on this earth that has the power to preach someone into heaven if that person did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's sort of a, a false sense of hope that we give people. This is a powerfully sobering text that I hope pricks your heart by the Holy Spirit to say, am I living my life loving God's Word and God's teaching, being changed and transformed by it through the Holy Spirit to be more and more what God would want me to be in this world so that I have the hope that whether I die in a car accident or die having an operation or pass away in my sleep 
at that moment, what I see are angels coming to me to take me in to paradise. Because the reality is, the moment you die, your judgment is sealed. And you know what it is. And now you know that there is no crossing over. God has created the chasm. There is a great divide. And it is not purgatory. It is a state of final judgment before the end of all things. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. It's, it's just sad how we get evangelistic about the soul of other people after it's too late. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let that happen to a family member. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Don't become evangelistic before it's too late. And don't sit here if it is you sitting here and that you've not made a decision to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. You are not promised tomorrow your life is a vapor your life is a mist and this is serious stuff because it is matters of heaven and hell and eternity so choose the lord i pray that you choose the lord i beg you send lazarus to my family because i don't want him to come here where i am now, I'm going to come back to this verse, but I'm going to bump up here. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Here's the main point. Out of all the spiritual truths, here is the main point. You know, so many people Maybe even you at some point in your life, maybe even now sometimes. Father, give me a sign. Lord, do something miraculous. I, I, if I see a miracle, I'll believe. Give me a vision, a revelation, O oh God, and then I'll live for you. Send an angel, Lord, to appear before me like you did back then and that will do it for me i'll make a decision for you send someone from the dead oh that will do it jesus said no it won't this is the savior of the world says miracles even people resurrecting from the dead won't do it He's going to raise Lazarus, a different Lazarus probably, in John chapter 11 from the dead, the brother of Mary and Martha. Many witnesses to that. But on the day that Jesus was crucified, very few people were at the foot of the cross. Many of the disciples that were with Jesus throughout his ministry where he was doing healing after miraculous healing deserted him in John chapter 6. 
the point, I think, of what Jesus is saying for his Father is, listen to what God says. Heed his word and heed what the prophets say. Heed what Moses said. The word of God is what is in the main focus here. Listen to the word of God. Because it reveals who God is and what God desires from you in your life. And then we had two-thirds of Scripture. Now, after Jesus' life on earth, we have the new covenant which gives us even greater insights and hopes and truths. But the Word of God is the main point of the text, I believe, with all of my heart, and that is for us to pursue the Word of God, to rest in it, to lay down in it, to fill ourselves with it, to love it, to drink it in, to live it out. That's what's important to the Lord. They have Moses and the prophets. You can't manipulate someone into the kingdom. You can't force your family into the kingdom. The Word of God and only the Word of God is what convicts and challenges and encourages and teaches. And we should be so thankful for God's Word. We should value God's Word in our lives because it is the source of all things that change and touch the heart of people who don't know Him. And then I think, connected with this listen to Moses and the prophets, is this valuable truth connected to it. And that is you and I are the five brothers. You and I are the five brothers. Send Lazarus to my five brothers. Send him to my family. They have Moses and the prophets. If they won't listen to Moses and prophets, then they won't listen at all, and a dead man won't change a thing. You and I are the five brothers. We represent the five brothers. This world, those that are alive, represent the five brothers. And that is people need the Word of God. And so, as he continues, not wanting them to come to this place of torment, wanting them to be warned. Have you ever in your Christian life stood up in humble boldness? And I genuinely mean humble boldness. Not pride, not arrogance, but humble boldness convicted by the Lord and warned somebody that without the Lord in their lives, without a real-life relationship with Jesus, that their soul is doomed and that you do not want that for them. About two weeks ago, I was called by someone from this church to visit with them someone in the hospital. And it happened to be, as I got to his uh, office, his workplace, he filled me in on the details. And uh, it was an individual that he had hired to work for his company. Uh, This individual's wife was really sick. 
had been sick for about two to three weeks. She'd went into the emergency room, kept feeling like she just was, was constipated, constipated. They'd go in the emergency room and send her home. Happened about eight times, and finally took her back the ninth time and said to the staff, I am not leaving here until you find out what's wrong with my wife. Even if you have to call the police, I'm not leaving. So they did some more tests and discovered a nine-pound malignant tumor. Given maybe four to six weeks to live. And he had the wherewithal to know that her death more than likely was imminent. And he shared his faith and he shared the gospel and he shared Christ and he asked her to believe. Now, now I, he, he's worried that I've done something wrong. I didn't say something right. This is too important to get wrong. Will, will you come and talk to her and answer any questions? And, you know, that's sort of a tough setting when you, someone finds out they've got a few weeks to live. But yet, the day before, someone truly warned in a loving way that you don't want to die without the Lord. So I, I get there and we talk. She seems genuinely to have looked to the Lord and trusted Him. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a prophet. Only God knows. But she seems because of her situation and circumstance to really like looking to the Lord and trying to trust him and receive him in her life. She can't get up out of bed. She's so sick. The cancer is spread, she said, to her shoulders and her hips throughout her lymph nodes. You're not promised tomorrow. Your life is a vapor. Now, her husband, he, he's broken up. A man of, I would say, faith, but how active it is. It's, you know, I can't judge another person, but later sat down with him and said, So, Tony, what are you thinking? And his words were, I just feel like giving up. I try to do everything right. I don't try to hurt anybody. I don't try to cheat anybody. Why is God doing this to me? And, and I feel like God pricked my heart at that and gave me the insight like Tony has belief in you, Lord. But someone who's walked with you, that's not the way we think. Someone who's trusted you, it's not the way we think. We are people of the Scripture. We know life is slender at best, unexpected. 
It's not eternal on this side. It's eternal on the side to come. God isn't punishing anybody whenever someone gets sick. It is what happens in this world. We grow old, we die, we get sick. There's accidents. It's a sinful world that we live in. God's not doing anything to you, Tony. I lost my mom. But she's 79. And maybe, Tony, God is using this to bring your wife to Him. Because maybe without this, she would have never dealt with spiritual issues. I don't know all the answers, but those are insights. I don't know what's going on in your life, what will happen in your future, what diagnosis you will receive, the loved ones that you'll lose, that you'll deal with. But I know that God's not punishing people in this world with sickness and death. But I know that God will use sickness and death to teach us and to get people's eye back on Him to be serious about their spiritual state in this world. And some will act upon that and others won't. But her Bible was open. Because the friend, the day before I came, brought a Bible. Because he believed the importance of Moses and the prophets and the New Testament. The main point of the story is the importance of God's word in our lives. And the second is you have time to repent and turn to the Lord and live your life for Him and finish your life strong in the faith. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. I pray today that your hearts would be moved to pick up your holy Bible, the Word of God, the Scriptures. Get it off your coffee table. Get it out of your back seat. Dust it off and get your eyes upon it each and every day as you pursue your God who has given you a light for your path. May the name of Jesus Christ forever be praised and may Kentwood Christian Church be a church that is passionate with humbly and boldly warning people of the wrath of God that is coming and the salvation that is his free gift to those who would receive. Let us stand. Church, as we head into our time of communion, I just want to offer.